that gun, boy. You got you a blog. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Today is Wednesday, April 6th, 2016, and I'm driving home. Had a nice long day of editing video. About to go home and see my lovely wife, Miss Tallinn, who is very, very pregnant. We are T minus 11 days until the birth of my first son. And I gotta say, it feels incredible. It is a perfect mix of blend, a blend of excitement, anxiety, terror, dread, bliss. It's, uh, and I keep hearing from all of my friends who have children, you know, wait until that moment that you look your child in the eye for the first time and it's all gonna click. And I think about my experience with my parents, you know, being a child and causing terror and just not being the best son that I could be and them saying it's gonna come back to you when you have your son and you're all gonna understand and what a time, what a time to be alive. When, when birth is imminent, the cycle of life comes to mind and the thought of death comes hand in hand, the other side of the coin. I put out a tweet the other day after going through my Facebook friend list that out of my 1,000, 1,200 friends, whatever, there was three people that were deceased, that had died, and nobody thought to deactivate their Facebook account. And so I'm thinking about the numbers, wow, out of a thousand people that I knew personally, I shook their hands, we were friends, we laughed together, we shared memories in some respect, and they're gone. And it can't help but make you pause and be grateful just to be alive and today I just got word that that number has grown to four Um, a guy that I knew from from childhood I remember junior high uh, Bible studies going over his house Super nice guy. Um, His name was Josh. He was a father. Um, We've got a mutual friend uh, that I contacted to see what happened, and it still don't know. Still don't know the cause of death, but this was somebody that we're the same age. And gone too soon is a cliche that doesn't begin to express the feeling of loss and injustice of a life that didn't get to run its full course. Um, We weren't close. I, you know, we had some exchanges on Facebook, some political discussions, little arguments, jokes back and forth. Um, 
but I, I feel the loss nonetheless. It's, it's a part of my, my youth, a part of my childhood that it was very important to me. It was very formative in my development. These were awkward teenage years, you know, acne and insecurity. And their household was the type of place there was no judgment. They welcomed everybody. Just really cool, genuine, down-to-earth, salt-of-the-earth folks. And he will be missed. Um, my, my love, my prayers, my thoughts, my condolences are with the Hart family. What else should I be? So, yeah. Um, I was really excited about everybody enjoying the conversation that I recorded with my wife, Miss Tully. And I had her back in the studio to sit down and talk about the TV shows that we love to watch. Who doesn't sit down and enjoy Netflix with their spouse nowadays? We've all got a handful of shows that we don't miss. And one of the new shows for us is The People vs. O.J. Simpson, which just had the verdict, the final episode, the finale of the season was last night. It was 90 minutes, and it was riveting, just like the whole season. Um, if it does not fit, you must quit. They had this really cool commercial for a new show, and right after the scene from the OJ show, there's two black guys looking at the screen, and it says, man, so he just got off? He just got away with it? That must be why they're so mad. And it was so clever. It was so well-timed. We looked at each other and we laughed, and I jokingly said we should keep this episode on the DVR just to watch that commercial again. You know, people skip through commercials nowadays with everything being on demand. But that one was funny. And I remember watching the OJ trial, the trial of the century, in real time, on TV 20 years ago. And before that, Rodney King, obviously. But those two trials really shaped a lot of the race relations and conversation in the circles that I was in. Uh, being the only black person in an all-white school, uh, a 99% white school, a 98% white community. Seeing the reactions, the disappointment, the frustration, the outrage of the community that I was in, in response to OJ being acquitted, was something that I'll never forget. Um, as Barack leaves the White House here coming up this year, the, the debate, the tensions are, I feel, as high as ever. I don't know if anything has changed. I don't know if anything has gotten better. But I know that the clock marches on.
the calendar pages flip, and here we are in 2016, about to elect somebody new into the White House, some fresh blood. And though our conversation about TV shows and characters and plots was fun, it did end with Kevin Spacey and House of Cards, which is a political show. And so our conversation quickly devolved into a conversation from entertainment to politics. And I would like to encourage everyone to continue to have vigorous and lively political discussions, but friendly, friendly discussions that can end in a higher plateau of understanding and not a brow beating of insults and tirades. Um, America is about freedom and multinational different ethnicities coming together and creating something bigger than ourselves. So with that little rant being said, I would like everyone to give a warm welcome to my lovely wife, who's about to pop, Miss Talene. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you for joining me. We're uh, broadcasting live from our studios in the living room. Uh, today is Sunday, March 20th, 2016. You are tuned in to the Doug and Talene Show. Actually, you were, out of all my guests that I've had in the years that I've been doing this, <laughs> all the celebrities and musicians and mm -hmm. comedians, I actually got the most positive feedback from having you on. Wow. We have a very exciting and loving relationship that yes. people would like to listen to, I guess. So we gotta, we got to give the people what they want. Tell you what. What they, what they ask for. I'll try to make myself available to you in our studio. I appreciate that. Yeah. So we, we do have some, some planned topics uh, for the evening, and there will be some spoiler alerts if you're following uh, some of the popular shows right now. Um, but first, we got to hear an update on the on the baby bump. What week are you? What's happening? We are in week 35. Um, we are scheduled for a C-section tentatively right now for exactly four weeks from today. So four weeks from today, we would have a baby in our arms. Crazy. It is crazy. Um, we had a little scare a couple weeks ago with some bleeding. Um, so since then, I've been off of work and um, limited in my activity. Mm -hmm. And, um, but everything's fine and he's doing well. He's moving around right now. Nice. He always responds to your voice, so he, he loves you. That's so cool. And, um, or it's how you make me feel and it makes him right. move. It's one of those two things. Um, Family connection forming already. I, I tell you what. Um, 
And yeah, he's he's doing really good. He's the size of a kid's backpack this week. That's what one of the apps says. Okay, so you have an app that kind of gives you weekly progress reports. Yeah, comparisons and stuff. It was that or a bunch of carrots, a small spaghetti squash, <laughs> a mini lop rabbit. Lop rabbit. Apparently, it's a medium-sized rabbit. <clears throat> this app has had a lot of strange animals that I've never heard of. Yeah, one of the topics is, um, or one of the themes you can choose from is Parisian bakery. Okay. But some of the things I'm not familiar with, so yeah. I don't... So you picked animals and fruit comparisons? Or it's like weird toys or something along those lines. I don't know. What's the name of the app? Ovia? Ovia. O-V-I-A. Of all the pregnancy apps that I have, I think that one's my favorite one. Nice. It also shows a hand comparison between how big his hand's going to be at nine months versus, or when he's born versus where he's at right now. Okay. And so it's pretty cool to see how, I mean, just an estimate of how he's growing and stuff. Now, when you talk about the the bleeding and the scare that we had, um, it was kind of like a, a dry run, a practice, if you will. A very wet, dry one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, it was like a, a, a fire drill, you know. Yeah. And so we had our bags semi-packed by the door. Yeah. Um, get dressed real fast, jump in the car, drive to the hospital, and maybe have the baby. It was, we weren't sure at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, this was our first, so we kind of don't know right. the signs. But my takeaway was you were way calmer than I was. <laughs> I didn't feel like anything was like extremely wrong, only because I had been feeling his movements pretty regularly. Right. And it wasn't like a strong gush of blood or anything like that. Like, but they say if you see blood, go to the doctor. Sure. So you, you know, we had to do that. Um, it just told me that I needed to maybe take it a little bit easier, even though it showed up after I woke up from a nap, not anything. Not after physical activity. Not after anything super excruciating or anything. Now, is that the same one? I heard the term spotting for pregnant women. Is that kind of what you experienced? No. The, um, in the beginning, the spotting lasted for seven days afterwards, but initially that was not spotting. That was bright red, um, bleeding. Yeah. And in that case, they usually, it is a, a more of a red flag for them. Right. Um, if you're spotting, they tend to take it a little less seriously. Um, but when they say it's bright red, then they, they're a little more concerned. Yeah. Though apparently they don't know what causes it a lot of the time. Though mine might, because, mine might be because of my placenta. Right. Yeah. You know, it's our first child and we don't know what all the warning signs are or how to react to to different things and people can give you all the advice in the world but until it happens to you you don't really know what to expect so I don't know if it'll help but for first time soon to be parents out there you know a, a little blood is not the end of the world definitely get to the hospital but for us it turned out to be just a a warning to take it easy and let you be home from work a few weeks early yeah and the other thing I've discovered is that when you're pregnant, it seems like it's always something. Like somebody's going to have something at some point along the way. Very rarely does it go smoothly is what I'm noticing with a bunch of the people that I, I know that are pregnant also. I mean, anywhere from like high blood pressure to 
um, fluid levels to, I mean, whatever it is that ends up causing a little bit of concern. Um, Blinker fluid. So just, it's interesting to, exactly. Breaks, transmission. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah, but that's it. Um, so we had a fun little outing to the park. We had maternity pictures taken. Yes, by our beautiful friend Sarah. And Shout her out husband, to Nick. Sarah and Nick. Snick, uh, as Snick, we call them. Yeah, yeah. the, the simile family. Mm-hmm. Um, she's actually a very accomplished photographer. Mm-hmm. Her website is sarahschaferphoto.com. And it's S-A-R-A-H-S-H-A-F-F-E-R-photo.com. And she does maternity pictures, family pictures, newborn pictures, um, weddings, weddings, mm-hmm. portraits, full service photography studio. She's super awesome. She's, and she's very talented. Very talented and easy to work with. Yeah. Like she's not one of those diva artists who's, you know, no. tries to, I don't know, take control of the situation and manipulate. Yeah. She's just cool and calm, has really good energy. So I want yeah. to give her a shout out. And very sweet. Very sweet. Very sweet. Um, also, since the last time we talked or had an episode, we had baby showers, plural. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Got a bunch of stuff. I'm sure you love having big empty boxes all around the house. <laughs> it, it's so counterintuitive to your nesting instinct. <laughs> trying to get these boxes out as soon as possible, but they keep coming, which is great. We need this stuff like yeah. his mattress and his crib and things like that. But um, trash only comes once a week, so we're <laughs> sitting here with giant cardboard boxes that just overtake our house. The crib was the biggest box by far. Yeah. That was a huge box. That box was about our height, I want to say, or if not a little taller. You could fit several bodies in that box. <laughs> yes, though it's only meant for one body. One body. Yeah, <laughs> and a pretty small body at that. And I, I put it together. You did. With your help. Yeah, I, I, I held pieces against another piece while you did all the manly work three and a half hours flat hey i challenge anybody to beat my record (laughs) (laughs) it was actually harder than i thought yeah you know and the delivery guys came and they were like yes it's it's hard good luck (laughs) (laughs) i tried to hint for you know help you know stay and give me some pointers but they're like you didn't pay for assembly so i'm out yeah, <laughs> had we known. <laughs> but we, we got it together. Yeah. So we got the crib, pack and play. We got a dresser. We've been getting just hooked up. People yeah. buying us stuff, giving us stuff. Yeah. So what other big purchases do you need to make for baby? Well, the baby monitor, we got one, which is great. Um, but we wanted maybe like a video monitor that you said you were going to look into. I'm sure there's getting. an app for the phone, like a little security camera or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. And a lot of the monitors nowadays. Um, yeah. Will connect to your phone. Have a mobile component. And then I've been debating whether we need like a nursing chair in his um, in his room or not. A rocker. Something along Glider. those lines. Yeah, but I'm not fully convinced that it's a necessary purchase, so yeah. I'm waiting it out. I figured we have plenty of seating options everywhere, and I have a nursing pillow that can prop them up. Right. Um. So I thought, you know. Maybe it's not necessary, but if it is, they probably still sell nursing chairs after he comes if we Good need point. to do that. If anybody has um, advice on that, what? yes, thumbs up, thumbs down on the rocker in the nursery. Yeah. Do you get use out of it? Does it just sit there and 
ends up holding clothes or what? And do you get a rocker, a glider, a recliner? What works best? And, um, and cloth diapers is my next biggest purchase, but we're set for his newborn days. It's the rest of the time, and I think I'll just do it pieces at a time to see yeah. if it fits our lifestyle. Right. Um, but it does seem to be more cost-effective and more environmentally friendly to do it that way. Um, so hopefully it'll be something that'll work out well for us. It seems like an ambitious, ambitious move, but from what I'm hearing, other parents said that it's doable yeah. and it's worth the extra effort. Yeah, and they say it's it's not much more effort than a disposable diaper. And right. once you get into the swing of things, that it should be okay. Um, and because I know so many people who do it so efficiently and swear by it and they're like married to it they don't stray from the cloth diapers and yeah. i mean it just makes me think that it's doable now one thing that we didn't have nailed down on our way to the hospital was the car seat installation so we've got two car seats but you need to get it what professionally installed or inspected by the the sheriff or fire department how does that work you can get you can put it in yourself but just as an extra precaution, you can go to the fire department or the CHP to get them to install it for you to just make sure that it's there properly. And I wanted to go to the fire station to do it just so I can watch them install it and so yeah. I can be um, aware of how to properly install it. Um, but the hospital will double check, too, before you leave to make sure that it's properly installed. i got to say, it kind of sounds like a setup. <laughs> the sheriff department's like, yeah, come on down. We'll install your car seat for you. We'll inspect your car. Come on down. Your windows are a little too tinted. And yeah. do you have something hanging off your rearview mirror? <laughs> I don't care how into Jesus you are. Get that cross off. <laughs> Seems to me that your uh, registration there, son, is expired. Do you have any warrants? Come with me. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I would definitely recommend going to the fire, fire department. department. Yeah, we we love our civil servants, but we don't want any um uh extra inspections. Unnecessary ticketing. We don't want any unnecessary attention, put it like that. Yeah. And who doesn't love visiting some firefighters once in a while, you know what I'm saying? Uh no comment. I don't, <laughs> don't want to visit a fire fire department. But they do good work. They do. So. Yeah. So, okay, basically what we want to do is break down our TV watching reviews for the last season here. And we know a lot of people ask us, you know, at at parties or social gatherings, what TV shows are you watching? What shows do you recommend? And in the age of Netflix, On Demand, Hulu, and whatnot, you can literally consume a whole show in a weekend, which... You're really good at. Well, you know, limited activity. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So let's back up a little bit. What shows before were you hooked on or were you addicted to? Like before you or before? Yeah, let's, let's take it back. The first show that you can remember that you were couldn't miss an episode. Hmm, that's a good question. As a teenager, I remember watching, I don't know if it would be a show necessarily, but it would be like, I remember really looking forward to watching The Daily Show or The Colbert Report. Well, Colbert Report kind of came out later sure. in my teen years. Um, stand-up comedy, 
Um, sometimes the World Poker Tour. I don't know why. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. That kind of surprises me. Yeah, and I just thought it was kind of fun to watch. I don't know why. Um, it was often at night when I couldn't fall asleep, like uh -huh. over the summer or something like that. Um, so it would be things like that. I don't know that I sat there and binge-watched anything. Well, it wasn't possible back then, really. No. Oh, oh, one of my favorite shows was The O.C. Really liked that one, with the exception of the fourth season. I don't mm -hmm. know what they did there. Except Chris Pratt's in the fourth season, so can't go that wrong. And then... Um, didn't Gilmore you, Girls. Didn't was you say the that the OC had a really good soundtrack that you liked it for the so music? So good. If it wasn't for the OC, I wouldn't have been so familiar with Death Cab for Cutie mm -hmm. as early as I was. They had the Killers on there. I mean, they just had a really good soundtrack. Emojin Heap was on their soundtracks. Mm -hmm. Coldplay. Solid. Things like that. I mean, they had really solid soundtracks. And because the character of Seth Cohen, Adam Brody's character, he um, he was kind of into that up-and-coming new alt-rock type of bands right. that I'm still into now. And um, so I really, really appreciated that show for that purpose also. Introduced you to new music mm -hmm. in your genre mm -hmm. that you appreciated. Yeah, and you know, I've rewatched The O.C. a couple times since my teen years, and it holds it holds up. Yeah. Like, you know, sometimes you revisit shows and you're yeah, like, yeah. wow, that was really lame. <laughs> <laughs> Why was I possibly into that? But that one was really good, and I really liked Gilmore Girls, and then I rewatched that in college with my roommate Janelle, and now that Gilmore Guys, the podcast is on, um, I was trying to rewatch it mm -hmm. as I was listening to the episodes, but it was kind of hard to align, Yeah, and that one's a really good one, too. I enjoy its fast dialogue, but I enjoy the dialogue and all the um, pop culture references that mm -hmm. there are there. And everything. Even the Gilmore guys have a whole segment on each of their shows called Pop Goes the Culture. Yeah. And they do a super cut of all the pop culture references in that episode and then talk about them and how nobody ever knows all of the references that they reference. It's so dense. It's so dense. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's fun to learn about. It sounds like, because I've been into podcasts ever since Joe Rogan when I took my trip up to Oregon. I had a lot of driving, so... I was like, oh, what's this? I can get kind of lost in a, a conversation or a book on tape mm -hmm. instead of listening to music. But it sounds like the Gilmore Guys was your introduction to podcast or mm -hmm. something that you latched onto that got you interested into the medium mm -hmm. of podcasting. Mm -hmm. So that's cool. And it sounds like they have a really good kind of cult following. Like a lot of people are into that show. A lot of people follow the, the podcast. Yeah. And you were saying that they launched it right when... Gilmore Girls was on Netflix. Netflix. Mm -hmm. So timing is important. Yeah. You know, when you're, when I think that was a genius out. move on their part. Yeah. And the main character, Lorelai, what's her name? Her Lauren Graham. Lauren Graham. I know her from Bad Santa. Was that your first time seeing her on something? That's my first recollection of her. I'm mm -hmm. sure she was in other stuff. Um, but yeah, Bad Santa is one of my favorite. It is my favorite Crucible movie, I think. <laughs> So I'll, yeah. I'll tolerate Gilmore Girls uh, for, for her. For Lorelai. <laughs> well, she'll be back in the upcoming season. Nice. Well, what are some of the shows that you used to watch? Well, it's funny. I, I did write down a short list of shows that I used to watch in two categories. You know, childhood and adulthood. Uh, one that I'm not 
uh, super excited to admit, but it's true. When you said that the OC had a good soundtrack, I was thinking back to, yes, I used to watch Dawson's Creek. Yeah. <laughs> I knew that about you. <laughs> yes. It's not a secret. Uh, guilty pleasure. And at the time, when I was in high school, a sophomore, the main characters, Dawson, Pacey, Joey, they were sophomores mm-hmm. in high school. So following them, I'm saying it as if it was an excuse, but it was, you know, the girls in our class were into it. And so I was into it. There and you I, go. I had the, uh, the soundtrack for, I forget which season, um, but it had a couple good songs on it. And um, I feel like my generation was on the borderline of watching Beverly Hills 90210. Mm-hmm. Like when I was a freshman, the seniors were probably mm-hmm. into that show. Mm-hmm. And then my class was into Dawson's Creek. Right. And then the movie, the American Pie movies. Oh, I was going to say, I didn't know they made a movie out of Dawson's Creek. Oh, okay. no, no, no. But I'm just <laughs> thinking, you know, the that you know genre of high school shenanigans uh-huh. and, and going into college. They were my class, mm-hmm. you know, class of 2000. So those kids were graduating high school when I was graduating high school. Right. Um, and then, what was that other movie? Can't Hardly Wait, mm-hmm. which, fun fact, originally was going to be called Class of 98. And that was, I wasn't Class of 98, but I was in high school when they were graduating. So they really did a good job of gearing those characters and those storylines to my age group. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah. Um, and then when I was a really young kid, I would watch the A-Team. Wow. With Mr. T. Of course. And that was kind of a James Bond-ish show, mm-hmm. you know, where they would... It was action-based, but it was also clever how they would get out of situations and very tactical army-type show. Sure. So I remember rushing home to watch that after school and loved the the reruns and whatnot. Um, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Oh, I watched that pretty religiously also. Yeah, that's the one that I would wait for the new episodes to come out Monday night or Tuesday night or whatever. I remember my my grandmother from Texas was in town and she was hanging out with us uh, in California. And there was that episode, it was a two-parter, where Will was in the mall or something and him and Carlton were chasing girls mm-hmm. and there was a there was a rap song built into the show and it's a it's a clean cut show for the most part you know um it's not something that you would say oh I don't want my kids to not watch this because of the content mm-hmm. but that episode had like three curse words in it he oh. said damn and hell and it was in of the rap of course it did the one I'm trying to watch <laughs> with my super Christian grandma you know <laughs> So that was that's a funny memory. Did you ever like whenever curse words or something inappropriate would come on TV? Did you ever start a conversation? Oh yeah, out of discomfort, like so. Did you notice something, and then you try oh, to divert yeah. their attention? Say something extra loud. Super. <laughs> used to do that all the time. <laughs> hey, look over so, here. Yeah, <laughs> something shiny. <laughs> throw throw off the attention. <laughs> I think. I think everybody's guilty of that. <laughs> there, there was a show um, when I was really little. My grandma would take me to work with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to Mimi. And she would, she was a caretaker for this elderly woman. And so I would hang out um, with her while she was working. And there was this show called That's Incredible. Mm-hmm. 
and this was pre-internet, pre-YouTube. Okay. But, you know, when you go on YouTube and you kind of click through these cool videos and you just go down a click hole, basically. Mm-hmm. That's what this show was. It was like, oh, uh, a man can pick up a 100-pound weight with his tongue. And uh, this guy can lay on a bed of nails. It was like a freak show, uh-huh. but on TV. Yeah. And the whole audience, after the clip would play, would yell, that's incredible. <laughs> so that was a, another show that I was that's very, cool. very much hooked on. Um, so when we started dating, we had a few shows that we would keep up with and watch as a couple. Mm-hmm. The first one that I can think of was Weeds. That was actually before we started dating. Was it? Okay. Mm-hmm. That was during our friendship. And I'd yeah. come over and then you and I would like sit on the couch and watch Weeds. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was good. And then you would text me when I got home like, okay, don't forget that we're on episode blah blah So the next time you come over. Yeah. And I was like, okay. <laughs> uh, was there ever a time where I would watch an episode without you or you without me? And we got in trouble. I didn't watch one without you because I don't think I had access to the episodes. Yeah. Without you. Not that I was using you for episode watching. Using me for my TiVo? (laughs) I don't know if you watched any without me, though. I can't believe it. I know. (laughs) DVR. The truth comes out. I do remember wondering if you ever felt awkward whenever there would be, like, a sex scene or something before we were dating when it would, like, show... On TV, and you and I are like sitting in the dark, yeah, watching the show before uh, before love was on the table, and before love was on the table, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> before we addressed the elephant in the room. Totally. And yeah. what was the main character from Weeds? Nancy. Nancy. Nancy Pants. <laughs> she had a habit of not having her pants on. Yeah. So there was often either sexual tension or nudity and adult content. Shall we yeah, say? Yeah, she used her hoo-ha to get herself out of a lot of tight situations. She sure did. <laughs> and I don't know. I look at her now, and she's she's aged a little bit since the show. Mm-hmm. And she was in that movie, Red, the action movie with Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. And Fried Green Tomatoes. Yeah, and I don't... The makeup team and the um, costume team did a great job with her because they made her look quite attractive when I'm not sure how attractive she is in real life. You do have a thing for brunettes with big eyes. This is a true story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So Weeds, uh, Grey's Anatomy, we, for a little bit. Right. You actually started with Grey's Anatomy because of a Super Bowl commercial. And That's very true. <laughs> I don't want anybody to think that I just go around watching uh, Shonda shows all willy-nilly. What happened was Brandon and I were watching... <laughs> Uh, I believe it was the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Seattle Seahawks. This was like 2008, 9, 2006, somewhere around there. And right before the halftime show, they had a commercial. And it was super dramatic. And they wheeled in a guy in a gurney. And they were like, what happens when uh, an unexploded um, round enters the ER? And somebody yells code black or code gray or something. And I was like, ooh, this is intriguing. <laughs> I've heard of a code blue, but what's a code black? And so after the Super Bowl, I freaking watched Grey's Anatomy. And you I, were a few seasons deep by the I time I hooked. came into the picture. Yeah. And then with Grey's Anatomy for me, we had the first season on DVD. Uh-huh. And the 
problem with me starting it was this. Uh, my dad suddenly got sick one day. He got dizzy right. and he was in the hospital to get, he had a cyst, has a cyst in his, it's between his brain and his skull and it takes up 40% of the size of his head. And so they had to put a shunt in to constantly drain this thing out. Um, he's fine now. Hi, Dad. Shout out. Um, What's up, Bob? But um, while I was in the waiting room, while he was on the operating table, I tried to start watching Grey's Anatomy on our portable DVD <laughs> oh, wow. player. And somebody died in the first or second episode in the first season. That's and I was like, watching. this is not the time to start watching a hospital drama show. Hitting all the wrong <laughs> buttons, all the wrong notes. Yeah. And then I think I made it through two episodes. One of them, there was some rapist and the lady bit off his penis and it got like lodged in her throat. That's unfortunate. And so then they like had to reattach his or penis to him, but they yeah. were like... You're a despicable human being, like blah blah blah. Yeah, I don't want to do this. Yeah, I can just picture Bailey. Yeah, and I think they like. <laughs> I don't. I don't remember. In my mind, I feel like if I were to write it, I would have thrown the penis like at his face. <laughs> 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 but um, yeah, and so I I didn't watch any more of it because that's kind of how it started. So I I revisited it again yeah. when you and I started dating but without going back to the beginning like right. I think I started just wherever it was right I, I think what that for me the breaking point was what was it Izzy the uh -huh. character she uh, fell in love with a patient mm -hmm. and then he died and then she for like two or three episodes was in her wedding dress or whatever on the ground catatonic and wouldn't get over it I'm like this is way too dramatic and I mean, he died. Get over it. Get over it. But just the way, <laughs> and this is something that we're going to talk about with the with the shows that we're watching now. I think that, say Dexter, for example, we watched Dexter. Yes, we, we did watch Dexter. Mm -hmm. And I think fans of that show will agree, super strong start, mm -hmm. but really tailed off poorly and had a finale that nobody's happy with. Mm -hmm. The first two seasons were based off of books. So it was written for you. Basically. It was written for you and the writers of the show had the plot points and they did a great job of filling in the rest. And once they ran out of those at the material for the two seasons, I think they were kind of grabbing for straws. Mm -hmm. They were like, "Whoa, the season we got renewed. Mm -hmm. We're coming back. We we gave all of our tricks and all of our, you know, good twists and everything." And I think Grey's Anatomy suffered from that as well. Shonda did a great job with the first two seasons, but was not maybe anticipating getting renewed. I think that Grey's Anatomy maybe had um, ebbs and flows. I mean, it just, it had its low points and its high points. I think it went up and down. Yeah. Um, but with shows like, well, I mean, would you agree, like shows like Dexter or Breaking Bad, where you're like watching them doing something illegal okay. and you're on their side okay. right um you're rooting for the bad guy more or less even though dexter's justified in what he's doing you understand where walt is coming from and breaking bad mm -hmm. but it seems inevitable that they're going to get caught right. and shows like that where 
you're constantly running away okay. or you're hiding something, I feel like that's when you have to be careful with the grasping for straws. And maybe that's the biggest difference between a show like Breaking Bad versus a show like Dexter where uh, Vince Gilligan knew to stop it when he stopped Breaking Bad sure. so he didn't fall into that sure. um, versus um, Dexter who went on maybe a little longer than he, he It's better have. to leave the fans wanting for more mm -hmm. as opposed to being disappointed and having gone on too long. Mm -hmm. Totally. I, and I, I think agree. he said that. He did. Didn't, didn't Vince Gilligan say yeah, something like that? Yeah, we listened to, I want to say, an episode of um, one of the NPR shows, The Treatment, mm -hmm. Elvis Mitchell interviewed mm -hmm. him, and he said something to that effect, which I respect him for. Mm -hmm. you, know? you may have had some, some bullets in your gun that you didn't fire, um, for the sake of artistic integrity and for the sake of your fans, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. And now we're watching uh, Better Call Saul, which mm -hmm. is a spinoff. Mm -hmm. And the way they have it set up, it's a prequel to Breaking Bad. Uh -huh. I think they're doing a marvelous job mm -hmm. on that. And we are in the middle of season two. Mm -hmm. We're watching it in real time, week mm -hmm. to week, uh, episodically. What do you think about that show, Better Call Saul? Um, I like it. I like it better this season than I did last season. It was just really slow to set up a foundation, right. as I think a lot of AMC shows right. are. Mad right. Men was like that. Breaking Bad was kind of like that. And now this one. Um, they just, it's very... It's a slow build. It's a very slow build. Um, but the camera work, the lighting, um, that's fun to watch. It is. It's like and a movie every week. It's like a movie, and um, I think Bob Odenkirk is so silly sounding. Like, uh -huh. I'm always entertained by the sound of his voice, so I feel like I'm always engaged in what he's saying, um, just because he sounds so goofy a lot of the time, you know? You, you know he, it's hard to take him seriously. He has a comic background. You yeah. Know, right? Yeah. Sure. So I discovered Mr. Show pretty recently, like within About the last a year. couple of years. Yeah. And that is like an SNL type sketch comedy show, but it's so brilliant. Oh, uh, it's very and, well done. Him and David Cross were comedic geniuses. And I think when you have a successful dramatic show, it's got to have elements of comedy. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be an outright joke, but it's got to be like you're saying how Bob Odenkirk has a silliness to him. Mm -hmm. It's where he brings that comic relief. Right. And his character in Breaking Bad Saul, the morally ambiguous attorney, attorney let's yeah. say, it's really cool to see him develop and Mike and how their stories are, are weaving together. And I, how many seasons do you think Better Call Saul is going to go? I've been trying to figure that out. Like I'm trying to do the math about where he is, how his name is still Jimmy. Right. Um, Things like that, I'm not sure. I want to say we've got a solid at least four or five years uh, or four or five seasons of yeah. this show. I was going to say three or four, but I think they could get five maybe out of it. Yeah, um, I'm not I'm not 100% sure. Um, it, you know, as Vince Gilligan probably will do, he'll make sure that there's a shelf life because yeah. he's not going to want to do the same thing that Breaking Bad did. Right. There's a There's a clear ending that has to happen. For the Breaking Bad portion of it to start, right? Um, and and Bob Odenkirk's character, 
I don't think is meant to be taken super seriously. Like that's his problem. Right. Saul or Jimmy in the show is not... um, He's not lawyer material. No, and it's hard to take him seriously as an attorney. And he seems like he's not wise enough to do the job that he needs to do. Right. Um, He's a a hustler. He's a hustler, and he works people. Sure. um, To get to where he wants to be. Not a corporate man. No. So I think the fact that he sounds kind of goofy in his speech and everything, I'm sure, is all very methodical in in the casting decisions and everything that they made. It's endearing. And um, another example of a protagonist who's not necessarily a good guy in the standard sense, Mm -hmm. but you're rooting for him. Mm -hmm. And I want to jump into one of our favorite shows now that we're going to watch tonight, probably as soon as we're done, uh, Billions Mm -hmm. on Showtime, and how I came across this show the writer, executive producer, creator, Brian Koppelman, shout out to him. Um, he has a podcast called The Moment, which is great. You guys should check that out. He's a great interviewer. He had Killer Mike on his show. And Killer Mike is one of my favorite rap artists, um, hip-hop musicians from Atlanta. Um, he came up under Outcast, the Dungeon Family, and he's an avid supporter of Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. Now, this interview had nothing to do with Bernie Sanders, but at the time, several months ago, <clears throat> I was looking for more interviews um, of Killer Mike, Michael Rinder, because I love his community activism, I love his intelligence, and how he looks to mentor you know, young black people. Mm -hmm. And I really respect his voice. Um, So I Googled Killer Mike interviews and that popped up. So I listened to Brian Koppelman interview him and I thought that he was so good that I subscribed to his podcast. And that was, I don't know, several months ago. And then through that podcast, I found out that he had a show called Billions, which is a brilliant way (laughs) to market your show is to have people invested in the writers which Mm -hmm. is something new that you know because of social media and everything people wouldn't normally have access to the creative side right they're traditionally behind the scenes exactly so to be fans of a writer or a producer is a new phenomenon which is really cool it's a good point Mm -hmm. it's really cool yeah and me being uh, a writer in my own aspirations I love to be able to kind of peek behind the curtain and see what's going on so billions is about um, the Axelrod who owns the hedge hedge fund Axe Capital and then you've got um, what's the other guy's name Paul Giamatti's Paul character Giamatti, and he's the district attorney and so they're at odds with each other or what's the group that goes after the SEC that mm-hmm. goes after financial um, corruption. If anybody, if you saw that movie, uh, The Big Short, mm-hmm. this is basically the perfect transition, mm-hmm. you know, from hearing about the collapse of the economy and Wall Street and the bankers, and this is a weekly show about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what do you what do you think about your show? What's your favorite part of it? Of billions. Yes. Um. My favorite part of Billions, I I like the um, the dynamic between 
the two main married couples in the show. Okay. Um, I notice in shows oftentimes, especially when they're dramatic like this, um, there's a lot of, I'm going to do whatever needs to get done to make sure something happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that involves cheating or backstabbing your husband or doing things behind his back or behind your wife's back to make sure that you're getting things done. And um, one of my favorite things about this show is that um, the the wives are equal counterparts right. in, um, in their businesses and they are very respected by their husbands and they, and they have that mutual respect mm-hmm. and um, they're not scandalous with each other they're always fighting alongside each other to move everything forward if that makes sense Um, i think that that's one of my favorite aspects of the show so instead of instead of the ends justify the means and kind of like frank underwood and claire Mm -hmm. just whatever needs to be done to achieve our objective this one is more I'd say it's more reality-based, mm. that even though they're a power couple and they make millions or billions of dollars and they're in the public eye, they still have that strong family unit and they present a unified front for the benefit of their kids and their employees, their followers, what have you. Right. So I agree. And it's not a typical move on the writer's part to have an intact faithful, loving family unit Mm -hmm. in such a high-profile position. Now, there is a bit of kink involved on Paul Giamatti's side. They do have that kind of Fifty Shades of Grey domination-submissive thing going on. Mm -hmm. And this whole thing is a spoiler alert, but I'm going to say it anyway. The the opening sequence of the show, which kind of hooks you in, Mm -hmm. is them... Is her peeing on him. Exactly. Right. <laughs> right. Um, Little, uh, what do you call it? Water sports. Yeah. <laughs> if you will. <laughs> but it's water sports among the married couple that right. do what they need to do to, you know, keep the spice alive for them. Um, I think that it's cool in the sense that it's almost fairy tale like where mm. you're like, oh, you could have both um, a really successful, profitable career mm-hmm. that consumes a good portion of your time and a happy marriage and family with a wife who's very supportive and has your back and everything and is not hanging it over your head that you're at work all the time or you're doing all of these things, you know? And I think that that is a realistic thing. It's just not something that's portrayed a whole lot in um, TV nowadays because it's not as juicy or scandalous as... Sure. Um, as, say, as a, a scandal, <laughs> as a which is funny because uh, when we talk about House of Cards, I did have like a scandal comparison, comparison that our thoughts that I had about it, but yeah. So in billions to kind of wrap it up, Maggie Siff, who plays Paul Giamatti's wife, is in a very sticky situation because she's not because of the P, not because of the P. <laughs> she's married to the lawyer. But then she works for the hedge fund manager. Mm -hmm. So she's caught between two worlds. And she's a psychotherapist, performance booster. She meets with these high-powered executives 
to help them get the most out of their own performance mm-hmm. and get past any mental blocks, mm-hmm. which is fascinating to me. And apparently that position does exist in a slightly different form. Um, but yeah, and she's another big-eyed brunette. Yes, yeah, she so is. Of course I'm going to be attracted yeah. to, to that character. <laughs> um, so Billions is one of three or four shows that we watch religiously mm-hmm. every week um the next one probably would be shameless that is also a show these are our sunday shows these are our sunday shows <laughs> billions and shameless showtime original and oh emmy oh yeah. emmy another big-eyed brunette <laughs> who shows her titties all the time <laughs> all the time <laughs> it's funny when the when the opening credits right before the opening credits either it's going to say adult content nudity or strong sexual content but when it's brief nudity you go oh because oh, yeah. whose butt are we gonna see it could be a man's butt it shape. could be frank gallagher's butt yeah so or yeah. the the grandma whatever yeah but shameless is i don't want to say a guilty pleasure but it's it's so raunchy and it's so i want to say base mm-hmm but it's such a good show. Right. It keeps me coming back. I mean, and it is raunchy. I'm almost like ashamed to admit that I watch it. Right. You wouldn't want your students to know. Right. Um, but yeah, I love that shit. What, what is it about that show? What is it? Is it the characters? Is it the writing? Is it the... Is it... I, I think a lot of it is that it's so um, far-fetched from any of my, my own personal experiences. It's interesting to see how they survive and they thrive in their um, community, their socioeconomic status, their mm-hmm. all that stuff. Um, but of course, like it's always enticing to watch people have sex or like, mm-hmm. um, or to watch people unravel their lives and make bad choices mm-hmm. when you're yelling at the TV, like, no, why are you doing that? Right. You were in a perfectly good situation here and you just messed it up by doing X, Y, and Z. And it's like watching a train wreck, I think, is, totally. is what it is. Sex, drugs, rock and roll. It's like... Can't go wrong. <laughs> it's like watching the first 10 minutes of Intervention. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good Which comparison. I used to love watching Intervention for that first 10 minutes. Just to watch them spiral out of control and make these crazy choices that they, like, they don't care about their family, they don't care about their friends, or how they're actions affect others around them it is a train wreck and it makes me feel better about my life and my choices <laughs> to see other people doing so much worse well, you're and not I, doing black tar heroin off of a sidewalk or something right. like that. and i'm not snorting crushed up xanax literally out of a gutter yeah these are some of my favorite intervention episodes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i remember me and gray there was this one i can't think of the girl's name but we watched it several times she was so drunk and she would fall out of the door. She would break her arm, break her leg and just keep going. You know, she could she could go in for alcohol poisoning, get revived and then keep drinking. Like she was a, lit- a living Frank Gallagher. That's insane. So. I can't even imagine. When I sprained my ankle, I thought it was the end of the world. It hurt so bad. I can't imagine to just like keep going after you break a bone or something. Well, if your blood alcohol level is in the threes or fours, who knows what's oh, possible. Man. <laughs> Good times. So, yeah, definitely. Side note I shameless. know that giving birth is probably going to be more painful than spraining my ankle. I understand that. Right. 
that's coming. It's the equivalent of breaking how many? A lot. This episode is brought to you by your local anesthesiologist. <laughs> it is okay to get an epidural. <laughs> Especially when you're having a C-section. Don't mess around. <laughs> I actually went to um, college with, uh, at Pepperdine with my buddy Kenny. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Kenny. And he's an anesthesiologist. I forget if... Is he in Chicago? I think he's in, in D.C. DC? now. Yeah. And so that seems like the best job to have in the medical profession Mm -hmm. because your client or your patient is asleep and they love to see you coming because you got the good drugs, you're putting them out so they don't have to feel whatever's coming. But it's the highest risk, the highest risk one for like getting sued and stuff too. Right. You got a very low margin of error. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's, that's the trade-off. But if you know what you're doing, I... Right. Yeah. So if uh, if Button, if you're listening to this and you're a teenager and you're thinking about getting into the medical profession, definitely go anesthesiologist. Your father and I have started putting change in a piggy bank for you. We'll break into that to get you into medical school. Damn straight. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever have you ever had um, general anesthesia? Yes, once when I got my wisdom teeth out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I wish I could go to the dentist every time with general anesthesia. I think it costs extra. Yeah, they won't even give me laughing gas. <laughs> so. Why are they so stingy with that? I don't know. Um, mostly because I get cleanings and not a whole lot of work done. <laughs> They're yeah. probably like, you're going to be fine. Just suck it up. You just deal with it. Be yeah. Adult. But for like the root canal and stuff like that, I think I, I had xanax or something in my system yeah. to make sure that i was a little calmer during that whole procedure well it's important i mean you need to be in a good state of mind for your body to react well to the procedure and to heal it's, it's all it's all a part of the equation mm-hmm. i remember i was five or six and i had an extra set of teeth mm-hmm. in my, my front two top teeth so i had baby teeth adult teeth and then extra oh and it would have made my adult teeth super crooked. So they went in, did a surgical procedure to remove the extra set. And at the time, I didn't really understand how serious of a procedure it was or how, you know, it was actual surgery. Mm-hmm. You know, I had an IV, they, they put me to sleep. And I remember watching Dennis the Menace, my dad rented me a bunch of videos. Mm-hmm. Um, but the moment that the anesthesia kicks in, and you know they tell you to count backwards mm-hmm. from 100 or whatever, I don't think I got to 97. Yeah. I remember looking at the doctors and thinking that they were the claymation figures from the Michael Jackson ABC <laughs> video. <laughs> Next thing I know, I woke up. Was like, that the was... first time you tripped out? <laughs> uh, I think so. Oh, that's yeah. so funny. My first hallucination as a child. That's so funny. Um <laughs> I remember when I had the general anesthesia for the wisdom teeth, I was 17, and they were like, sometimes it affects your memory about 10 minutes before the anesthesia kicks in, too. They're like, sometimes you won't remember things that mm-hmm. happened before it kicks in. Yeah. And I remember looking out the window, and there was a lizard. <laughs> and there, and then that's when they told me, you might not remember things so you might not remember the lizard yeah and then i remember coming out of the anesthesia leaning against the counter at the front waiting for my mom to pull the car up or for like because ryan my cousin shout out and my mom shout out were with me uh at the time 
and they were helping me to the car, but I remember like before I left, I made sure to let the lady know, like, I remember the lizard. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like so out of it. <laughs> like if was, if this was if we were living inside the movie Inception right now, mm -hmm. the lizard would be your totem. Mm -hmm. So maybe you're still in the chair. Maybe you're waiting to wake up from that procedure. I wonder that sometimes, but not like not like that. <laughs> like I wonder like what if I died in a car accident like 10 years ago. Are you serious? Or something. Are you serious? Or if I was like out and I'm like living my life through my memories. I've had that thought. Or like through my, my thought and then I'm going to come back one day. I've totally had that exact yeah. same thought. Because like, I mean, I'm so fortunate, I feel like, in the sense that my life has pretty much gone to plan so far mm -hmm. in the sense of like, I wanted to be a teacher, so I did, and I mm -hmm. did it as soon as possible. And I wanted to get married by a certain age, and mm -hmm. I did. And I wanted to have a kid by a certain age, and I did. You know, like, all these things are happening as I want them to, so I'm like, what if I'm just creating my own destiny in my head, and then I'm going to hop back? I don't know. Isn't that weird? Is that a totally. weird thought? No, it's not weird at all. You're saying your life is almost too perfect that it must be a dream kind yeah. of? And how have I not left my house? <laughs> <laughs> You're living in the house that you grew up in? Yeah. That kind With of... a damn near perfect marriage and all these things. You know, oh, we well, get along you. so well. And, yeah. you know, I have my two cute dogs. And, I mean, everything's I literally so wrote good. in a journal entry uh, a few years ago that what if I died in my sleep when I was eight? And my whole life is an alternate reality or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I think that these thoughts are natural. Mm -hmm. And I think the nature of consciousness and the way that people sleep and wake up lends itself to the simulation theory. I'm sure you're familiar with that. No. You listen to enough Duncan Trussell with me that you should know it. Oh, you know I tune him out. <laughs> What's up, Duncan? Hey, Duncan. <laughs> um, basically, simulation theory is the Truman Show. Uh-huh. You know, uh, what we're experiencing as reality right now is really just a simulation created by either more advanced beings or future civilizations that have created a computer simulation, mm -hmm. much like the Matrix, that we're currently experiencing or living out. Mm -hmm. And, of course, that's going to sound like a ridiculous conspiracy theory or somebody had too many hits of acid and never came back. Mm -hmm. But when you, like what we just talked about, we've both independently had very similar thoughts mm -hmm. about what if this is not our original life from the timeline that we know it as. Yeah. You know? So I love thinking about stuff like that. And Me too. I think that it's, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I do believe, as much as somebody can believe, in a multi-dimensional reality and a multi-universe theory. I mean, science is very regularly discovering new universes or the limit that we thought of our space and time mm -hmm. is not the limit and the universe is constantly expanding. I mean, you could go any which way with these theories, but who's, who's to say, mm -hmm. you know? So 
anyway, that's another podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I, think. I think we go on and on yeah, with that one. We went on a nice tangent away from our TV show recommendations. So back to Shameless, yeah. I mean, like, boobs and shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Um, who's your favorite character on Shameless? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I, my instinct is Lip. Okay. Lip is my favorite, I think. I, I thought you were going to say V. Oh, I, I do like her a lot, too. Yeah. Um, and Kev. Yeah. I like their dynamic. Yeah, their relationship is pretty uh, cool. Kev is pretty silly, and um, yeah. yeah. I think those three are probably yeah. up there. I know the most irritating ones to me are Debbie and... and well, it used to be Carl, but not anymore. No, Carl's, Carl's kind of more kind of like... Carl, what are you doing? Yeah. Like he that kind of thing. It almost seems like he could be adopted. Where Debbie, you just want to like slap her because yeah. you know. And who's she's um, just being dumb? Who's the redhead boy who's dating the fireman? Ian. Ian, he kind of gets on my nerves sometimes. Um, he's just as an actor, he's not very expressive. Right. And so I have a hard time connecting with him, and the way. Like everybody in the show makes bad decisions, mm-hmm. but his bad decisions seem to be consciously self-destructive in a way that the other ones aren't. And I think it was revealed last season that he has the bipolar disorder mm-hmm. that their mother has. Mm-hmm. So I guess that kind of explains it, but just personal preference. Of course, I'm going to like Fiona. Mm-hmm. Um Right. I mean, that's an obvious choice. I mean, she's great in her role. She's awesome. And And you're always rooting for her. Always. Um, And then Lip. He's the super intelligent, but always getting in his own way, you know, goodwill hunting type of a character. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, So, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot in there. Mm -hmm. So I definitely recommend that for people to get into, even if you haven't watched the previous seasons. Well, one thing that's really cool about this show I think is that they have so many characters Mm -hmm. and they still manage to make a storyline out of each of the characters Mm -hmm. every episode without it seeming exhausting or draining. And I think that that's really hard to do. Um, So I I like that a lot about it. Right. And then contrast that with one of your favorite shows, New Girl. Uh Uh-huh. Another big-eyed brunette. I tell you what. Zoe. (laughs) Um, But... She had a baby or something. She's been gone for mm-hmm. several episodes this season. She just came back like one or two episodes and ago. And the show damn near fell apart. Yeah, Megan Fox was a, I don't know. Not going to say dud, but a dud. Yeah. <laughs> it was rough. She just seemed super insinc- insincere and superficial. Right. I don't know if that's how she was in real life or anything, but it was very hard to follow the show. I think it fits the public's perception of her yeah. as a person. But it seemed to me that they were going to try to write Zoe's pregnancy or whatever. I'm assuming that's why she was gone. I think that's why she was gone. They were going to write it maybe into the script. And then at the last second, she didn't want to. And so they brought her, Megan Fox, in kind of as a last second band-aid. Yeah. Instead of running reruns, you know? Yeah. And the show's funny. I mean, the, the cast is good. And they have that vibe that they're improving a lot i get the feeling that they don't have a script or rehearse very much you know they kind of shoot from the head right right because they have such a good rapport but man you know you go from shameless to has that has you know eight to ten characters that they manage to get a storyline in from everybody and then you have new girl that 
all they do is sit around in their apartment and it just fell apart because one character was missing. Right. And the main character was missing too. Like I think if like Winston left for three episodes, it wouldn't have fallen apart like that. But because your main character was gone and you replaced it with Megan Fox, like, (laughs) like, yeah, you're pretty, but good eye candy. It's cool. We'll watch it on mute. <laughs> Don't show your thumbs. Just kidding. <laughs> Stop that. It's so rude. Just kidding. You said that. I did say that. Not on the, so... not on the air, though. <laughs> Goodness. All right. So we, we touched on Shameless. Mm-hmm. Uh, we touched on Billions. Mm-hmm. Um, a show that we just couldn't avoid because everybody said how great it was. So we went back and caught up is American Crime Story, The People versus O.J. Simpson. Mm-hmm. Um, the way the title is set up, I'm wondering, is it by the same people that did American Horror Story, American Crime Story? I don't know. I can look it up if you, you want. You want to look that up? Sure. Um, some of the best acting performances, hands down. Uh, Courtney B. Vance plays Johnny Cochran every week. Super powerful. Strong character. Very strong character. He really embodies what Johnny was about. And even though this show, or the O.J. Simpson case was 25 years ago, it totally feels fresh and like it just happened. And it doesn't feel tired at all. No. Um, the lady that plays the Marsha Clark, one of my favorite Sarah actresses, Paulson. Sarah Paulson. Yeah. Love her. She was great in American Horror Story, which is another reason that makes me think that they're um, connected the creative team, there's got to be something. It's both on FX, right? Yes, they're both on FX. Yeah, so I've heard multiple people say that it's, this is their favorite show and the best show on TV for good reason. Um, one, not down part, not disappointing, I don't know what the word is, but OJ. What do you think about the character of OJ Simpson? Okay. Cuba Gooding Jr.? I I actually think that he's doing... Okay, hold on. Let me back up. I'm not really sure I know how the real O.J. Simpson speaks in real life. Okay. Or what his mannerisms are like or anything like that. So I don't know if my opinion has any merit because I, I have a hard time with the comparison okay. of the reality of the situation. Um, but I think that he's doing a pretty good job overall. I think he's doing a pretty good job, and I can see the quirks and the mannerisms that I remember from seeing OJ on TV mm-hmm. for so long. Mm-hmm. I think for me, it's the fact that OJ Simpson's a large football player, and Cuba Gooding Jr. is obviously not that, so he doesn't have the physicality to fill out the role, and his voice is a little, excuse me, is a little bit higher than I would expect. OJ's voice to be. He's, he is whiny, but I assume right. that OJ was kind of whiny also. Right. Just right. because he feels entitled to mm-hmm. be special treatment. On, and special treatment or, you know, get out of this situation. Right. Um, back to the directors. Uh-huh. Um, two out of the three are the same. Uh, Hemingway, Murphy, and Singleton are the ones that are responsible for Uh OJ. Um, Hemingway and Murphy did a couple episodes of American Horror Story. Singleton didn't, but there were 15 people listed under American Horror Story 
And so they were responsible There's for just some, some episodes crossover. here and there. There's some crossover. There is some crossover. Was, that was a great show, too. Um, so, it's, yeah. It's funny that Cuba is arguably the biggest name. I mean, he's the title role, and uh-huh. he's got a very long and prestigious movie career. But I would say that possibly he's the weakest of the stars of that show. I was nervous about David Gallagher. Um playing Robert Kardashian. Like, I thought that that was going to be weird. Like, it's hard for me to... Wait, wait, wait. Are you talking about Ross Geller? Yeah, I was, it was hard for me to... David Schwimmer. Schwimmer. Yeah, Whoa. yeah, yeah. Brain fart? Where did I get Gallagher from? Frank Gallagher? Schumer's? Maybe, maybe. Um, anyway, David Schwimmer. It's hard for me to separate Ross sure. from everything else. I mean, even when he was in Madagascar as the giraffe. Like, I keep <laughs> hearing, like, Ross talking as a hypochondriac giraffe. Uh, <laughs> and... Um, and I was nervous for his character, but I feel like he's doing a pretty good job yeah. being somebody else. Yeah. It's hard to break from that. It is. That really well-known role that you had. And all, all of the friends, um, all of the six main characters from the show Friends, have tried in some form or another to recreate themselves in a new role to varying degrees of success. Mm-hmm. I feel like Courtney Cox probably did the best I would say Jennifer Aniston did the best. Was it Cougar Cougar Town Mm -hmm. is her show? Um, Well, Jennifer Aniston had her run as a leading lady in movies. Right. But I feel like she's playing Rachel to an extent. I don't know Like she's typecast, you mean? Well, I don't know how much acting range she has. Right. Oh, I guess that's true. You know what I mean? Whereas Courtney Cox, I think... I don't know. Maybe I'm biased. Maybe I've just seen Cougar Town more recently. Maybe she's a big-eyed brunette. Maybe she's a big-eyed brunette. (laughs) Uh, Matthew Perry comes to mind as somebody who is very talented as an actor, Mm -hmm. but he never was able to get a foothold in any of his shows. Yeah. Um, Sunset on the Studio Studio 60. 60. Mm -hmm. Love that show. I don't know why that didn't make it. Mm -hmm. I watched that show twice. On Netflix. Mm-hmm. That was like one of the reasons that I got Netflix was to watch that show. And then he had, what was it, Mr. Sunshine. Um, he had a couple of Netflix Something shows. Something called Go On, and I never watched yeah. it either, but I'm guessing that it didn't last. It never and it's came. sad because he is so... Yeah. Yeah. He did well in, I think it was Whole Nine Yards. He had a couple of movies mm-hmm. that That's did well. That's true. Mm-hmm. And Chandler was just, he was my favorite character. Oh, yeah, me too. Quippy, sarcastic. How did his friends not laugh at everything he said? I don't understand. How could you be in his presence and not, you just rolled your eyes at things that he said. And I'm like, no, if he was like one of my friends, I'd be like rolling on the floor the whole time. Well, Joey, it's not in his nature to get that high level humor. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) That's funny. That's true. So... Okay, so coming to the home stretch, our our big show that we're uh, gonna break down a little bit. Um, this is a Netflix original. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin Spacey, Robin Wright, mm-hmm. House of Cards. Yeah, and we're on season four. Yeah, it just started. Or kind of surprised me. I I thought we were only on season three, mm-hmm. but we caught that from the beginning. We watched. I think one. we we caught it around when season two came out, and we watched one and two at the same time. Okay. I only say that because I remember my mom watched season one, and she was like, "That's a really good show. You guys should watch it." Mm-hmm. And then I think 
a few months later we we did or we a year later board, yeah. we finally caught on board. Yeah. And your folks were fans of the West Wing, right? So I think my grandma was. So they were predisposed to like White House dramas. Sure. Um, and God, give my mom and granny Law and Order, things yeah. like that. Like they just love yeah. that stuff. Now, how do you feel about season four that we're watching right now? Because we're about to watch what episode five, six. Where are we? I think it's five or six. Okay. Um, we're in the middle of our binge watching. Yeah. It, we do like a episode or two a night. Pretty much. Um. I. I like it in the sense that it's easier for me to follow and the storyline isn't so convoluted where mm. I'm getting lost. Um, and it seems like it's a natural transition from the last season to this season for it to go the way that it's going. But I'm not really sure what Claire's end goal is mm -hmm. with what she's doing right now. Um so it's hard to tell whether I'm a fan of this season yet or not because I feel like we're unraveling it as we are watching it. Sure. We're still undecided. I had an English professor one time reference a Weezer song and to explain how he wanted us to write a paper, and it was about how you get a thread from a, like a line from the book, but then you pull it to unravel the sweater. And that's kind of the image that I have when I'm watching season four. We're destroying and, sweater. Yeah. <laughs> it's like watching House of Cards um, and season four, like we're, we're slowly pulling that thread away from the sweater and, and unraveling it to right. kind of bring a bigger picture. I find myself saying, you know, at every turn, She's a half a step ahead of Frank. Mm -hmm. You know, even as he's, spoiler alert, uh, recovering from his shotgun wound, mm -hmm. he's unconscious and she's still not quite outsmarting him. And this is a show where the tables are always turning. You know, it's big stakes, big power players, um, ego battles. To where they're playing chess with each other's careers. Yeah, and each pinning other's family. people against each other. It's like playing chess. Yeah, it's very strategic. I don't know if I agree with the fact that she's only half a step ahead. I feel like there's so much more that she's thought through okay. that we just haven't had revealed to us yet. So there's a bigger there's a bigger play that maybe I'm not seeing. For example, in the last episode we watched. She had, when the vice president had to take over Frank's position mm -hmm. as president and make that deal with Russia involving China, um, and that was all Claire's idea, she has been mastering a plan mm -hmm. um, and manipulating a very weak vice president who had to take the position of power so that she could She's maintain yeah. the position of power. So whether that meant Frank died and she would have to take over okay. in that sense, I feel like she was prepared to do that in some, in some regard. Well, but there's no precedent for that, for the first lady taking on the president's role. But, but you're saying if, if the vice president was promoted to president, she would have already laid the foundation for 
kind of being his mouthpiece and kind of controlling him. Exactly. Gotcha. Or as he lives, because we know they're not going to kill Kevin Spacey off. Right. Um, as he lives, he was either going to a, um, like her plan and make her vice president. Like she suggested before he had gotten shot. She proved herself. She proved herself. Or B, she undermined everything that he had worked for and done and still got her way right. with this position. Got the and ball so, rolling. And so she made a point that she can still run things um, without his knowing, and she's powerful enough to do so, so watch out. Like, she made some right. sort of point. And so that's kind of where my thought process was with the that whole makes thing. makes sense. And maybe after tonight's episode, we'll know whether which scenario is true Mm -hmm. either she ingratiated herself into you know uh frank's good graces and did a good job of covering for him while he was down and out or she made such a large play that he kind of has to fall in line and go with the cards that she laid out for him we don't know yet right and i wonder if there's a third option where he is appeasing her mm. you know oh that was a great idea that was my first you should reaction. be vice president right and then he's got something else up his sleeve right you know and so that's what the whole show is it's just a ton of manipulation right um and it was a show in the beginning where it was similar in the sense where they had a really strong marriage kind of weird quirks about non-traditional, them traditional for sure non-traditional power couple but they stuck by each other's side, did what they had to do to get to where they wanted to be, and it was kind of scandalous. Um, but then it unraveled and they fell apart. They're more business partners now, or maybe even business enemies now, versus yeah. um, like a, a team that works together. Yeah. So, um, so that's kind of disheartening for for me, but just because Those I as- wanted it to work out so bad, you know? Sure, and like you were saying, the, the aspects of billions that you appreciated of how they're presenting that unified front yeah. and they're having a relationship that is strong at its core, now we've we've lost that yeah. in, in House of Cards. And I was so invested in the first two seasons, and one of the things that draws me to the show is I feel that it's the most accurate portrayal of how politics really is Mm -hmm. you know we've had we mentioned the west wing there have been political dramas that portray the white house and portray politics but it's always in somewhat of an optimistic light Mm -hmm. they'll have pieces of drama but it's not so cynical to the to the point where what you see is nothing of what's really going on Mm-hmm. And that's what I appreciate about House of Cards. It's like the American people take a backseat to these people's personal agenda and to their own ego maniacal motives. You know what I'm saying? Right. And that's why I like it because I'm cynical and I view politics that way. I don't trust the president. I don't care that he's a slick talking, basketball playing you know, black guy from Chicago, he's the president. You know, he is a puppet for the oligarchs that are really in power. And this show 
manifest that. Brings that to light, yeah. I mean, we've seen it in our lifetime in reality, how politics can play out just however they wanted it to play out. Like the 2000 election with the Chads and Bush versus Gore and that whole thing going south. I mean, you it was right south in, meaning Florida. <laughs> right in front of our eyes and um and people just still live in a state of denial. And so you can't deny that there is so much going on behind the scenes that right. um you can't do that. I mean, you're looking at it now where you see Bernie Sanders having so many supporters, but because Hillary has so many super delegates, does he really stand a chance? You know, things like that. Um, and you're like, well... Or is it the media manipulating us into thinking that he doesn't have a chance? Right. And to give us that sense of he's basically a third-party nominee yeah. and you're wasting your vote on him. Are the, that situation? Yeah, are the cards stacked against him or does he actually have a chance? I mean, I think that the same thought process happened when Obama was running against Hillary. Mm -hmm. You know, they're like, there's no way he's going to you know, win against Hillary. And he did, and I'm sure she was shocked, you know, type of mm -hmm. thing. So in that sense, um, I think that's just really interesting. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the, the 2000 Bush election. Uh, the fact that it's common knowledge that something funny happened with the votes in Florida. To say that it's voter fraud or that the election was hijacked, I don't know that that was 100% proven, but people kind of accept that as, well, that's just how things are. It was inevitable. He was going to be president anyway. That's kind of scary to think that. No, because it boiled down to like 450 votes Yeah, is what it boiled down to. Um, to the voter fraud and then how they really prevent certain minorities or classes from voting mm -hmm. with whatever restrictions that they have. Um, it's skewed. It's so skewed. So, um, I mean, cards are really stacked against us. As I think voters. as the voter sometimes, I still go out and do it because to me, I feel like at least I did something. It gives you a sense of pride, yeah. civic duty. Yeah. And I, you're participating you know, and a reason to look into the different aspects and sides of things that are being presented and, and the people that are presented to research the facts and the issues. Right. And, and it's hard to do that mistake. because, you know, you go in with a bias, right? Uh, you're human. You're predisposed to your opinions and everything. Um, and the only way to learn more is to involve yourself in a dialogue with somebody who doesn't agree with you. Right. With as open of a mind as possible, I think. Right. Which is, we listened to that NPR episode one time where that was literally the only effective strategy on changing people's minds. Do you remember that episode? Mm-hmm where people went up to people's doors and they asked them about if they supported abortion, for example, right. or um, pro-choice versus pro-life. And so they said on a scale of zero to 10, where, you know, zero being you are completely pro-life, there's not a single situation where you would say that it's okay, mm -hmm. uh, versus scale uh, all the way to 10, where mm -hmm. you're completely pro-choice, whatever the woman wants. And, you know, a lot of them were at like a zero, but once they talked to the person that was talking to, with them, 
found out the found out that person had a personal story with an abortion story and things like that. Um, their opinions changed because they actually got involved in a conversation with somebody um, that happened human. with gay rights to mm -hmm. um, to the point where that one guy said that you know it doesn't bother him that gay people are out there, but he doesn't want to be. That he doesn't want him to be in their face right, flamboyant. or flamboyant or anything like that. And by the time he finished that conversation and they followed up with him months, even years later, he ended up being like a protester on the streets with the gays trying to get marriage legalized for them, you know? Right. It and totally it, changed his perspective just by having a, a heartfelt conversation. It gave him empathy. Right. And so I think that that's really important to engage in conversations with people that you don't agree with without attacking each other because then you might open the door to be understanding. And not that it will necessarily change your mind, to be, mm -hmm. but to be more empathetic to where they're coming from. Um, and I think that there's a lot of that missing in our society. I agree. Um, there's a lot of bipartisanship in many aspects, not just politics, but... I Have mean, you seen... This video clip going around Facebook, I believe it's a debate between, I want to say Ronald Reagan and George Bush Sr. Mm -mm. It's like a town hall uh, debate. And, geez, I, I'm, I'm blanking on the topic. But they, they ask one of the candidates, you know, what are your thoughts on welfare, let's just say. And he gave his opinion, and then the other guy gave his opinion, and they had a civil discussion. And they both, you could tell that both of them wanted the best for the people, and there was no personal attack in that particular exchange. Mm -hmm. Not to say that, you know, negative politics and bashing the other person is new, it's been around, but because of the way Trump and the candidates today are conducting themselves, it's become way more in your face, way more offensive. There's no meaningful dialogue. It's just as if the comment section of the internet has come to life and is walking around, and it's kind of terrifying. And I like to say that there's been no quote-unquote real president since JFK. But when you just said about George Bush, George W. Bush in 2000, that seems to me possibly like the turning point to where politics turned from uh, maybe a charade to an out-and-out -out circus of reality TV. Yeah, um... It, it's so disheartening to me. Um, it kills me to check my Facebook feed nowadays. Yeah. Um, and it, 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 disheartening is just the best word I think that I can think of in this situation because um, to me it seems so unbelievable that we're watching this fool that this parade around in all seriousness running for president saying the things that comes out of his mouth like is there no prestige in that position 
Is there no class? Is there no moral high ground? Um, and I can't help but think that it's so ridiculous that there is a grander plan than him becoming president. Have you heard the theory? Uh, yeah. That he's a false flag for, for Hillary? For Hillary, yeah. yeah. Um, and that seems pretty believable it's to me. plausible, yeah. Um, and whether that that's the case or something else is the case, I just, I can't, I can't shake how troubling it is that this is, this is the situation. Um, it's so, it's so bothersome to me and I'll never mention anything like this on social media or anything like that. Cause yeah. why bother? It's the same thing. It's not getting involved in a real conversation with somebody who's supporting him for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. It's me lashing out versus them lashing out versus, and it's just going to cause an emotional and, backlash. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't really open up a dialogue. Um, but I can't help but think, and I, I used to read this book, excuse me, to my kids when I was teaching fourth and fifth grade, when I had fourth graders and fifth graders, and it's called The Kid Who Ran for President. Mm-hmm. And in the book, there's a 12-year-old kid who decides to not just run for student council president, but president of the United States. And, um, you know, he has his um, campaign manager, which is one of his friends from his school, and they were like, well, a kid can't run for president. Like, it's in the Constitution. You have to be at least 35 or whatever. Right. And they were like, well, they said that, you know, women couldn't run for president. Or, you know, they had right. all these things. And they, they were like, he's like, argument. well, you know, we'll create an amendment because that's what they do mm-hmm. to make it any age. Mm-hmm. And so that's what they did in the book. And then he ended up like legitimately running for president and everybody loved the novelty of a kid running for president and he was part of the lemonade party <laughs> and all these people would make um donations to buy his lemonade but that's yeah. how he got his funding mm-hmm. um but he got enough funding to run seriously for a presidency and then at the end of the book he won um <laughs> and all this ridiculousness like he was like i can't believe i've even gotten this far you know, whatever. And I can't help but make the correlation between this kid's book yeah. about a kid running for president who's just like, oh, I'm just going to give it a shot, you know, whatever. And how the American people were like, well, yeah, that's something different. No, there's no no precedent. There's no reason why we shouldn't run a kid for president because he would say things like, you know what all the presidents we had before had in common? They were all adults, and they messed us up, and you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he's like, we need a fresh place at the end. And so at the end of the book, he decides to not run for president. He's like, you guys are ridiculous for choosing a 12-year-old to be president, obviously. Yeah. Like, I'm not, I'm not cut out for this position. Please give it to my opponent, you know, <laughs> whatever. Um, so I feel like a similar mindset is happening, but in real life, yeah. to the voters of our country who are literally behind this person do you remember that patrice o'neill documentary that we watched Mm -hmm. and he had this thing he was saying there's this racism nowadays that i can't prove it's like you see somebody they fit the profile but they would never admit to it publicly especially to a minority or a class of person that a racist would tend to not like Mm -hmm. So I feel that the Trump supporters are the same way. He's won states. 
he's a legitimate front-running candidate on paper, so they're telling us. But have you yet to meet somebody in real life that will admit to being a Trump supporter? Has that happened to you? I don't think so. Me neither. And I actually was, okay, I was working on a, a shoot for uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, mm-hmm. Borat. He's got a new movie out, coming out called The Brothers Grimsby. And you know he's all about shock and, and awe mm-hmm. and the stunts that he pulls. So as part of a promotional campaign for his movie, he hired a production company to be a street team to grab people off the street in downtown L.A. And then he wanted to interview them and ask them about different things. Mm-hmm. And he would say... Let's grab somebody who looks conservative. Let's grab somebody who looks religious. Mm-hmm. And then at one point he said, let's find somebody who's supporting Donald Trump. So literally for two hours on the street in downtown L.A., myself and three other um, production guys were running around asking people if they supported Donald Trump. Not one person would admit to it. Now, I know that L.A. is a quote-unquote liberal city and that California is a blue state. But you would think in a huge metropolitan city, crowded streets on a a weekday afternoon, that you'd find one person. And there was none. So this is not the first time that somebody that's famous for something other than their political track record is running. Ronald Reagan was a Hollywood actor. Mm-hmm. He did not have a background in politics. Arnold Schwarzenegger, obviously, the Terminator. <laughs> Jesse Ventura was, I believe, a professional wrestler. So there, our culture is conditioned to value success and notoriety and equate that with credibility. And I think that is, I mean, it's a huge multifaceted issue But at the core of it, I think that people want to worship money and success, and they're going to look for that in their leader. Yeah. And I don't don't really want to spend too much time on on the race issue. I just want to look at it as a cultural phenomenon in a group think, a hive mind, and figure out why we have the people that we have at the top of this race right now. Now, I didn't know who Barack Obama was until, I think it was, what year did he win? 2004 he won? 2008. 2008. Mm -hmm. I think it was 2006. I was working at Outback in Thousand Oaks. Mm -hmm. I was a server. And I'm a light-skinned black guy with kind of big ears. And one of the people that I was waiting on said, hey, this guy looks like Barack Obama. And I was like, who? That was the first time I'd heard about him. Mm-hmm. So he was a, an attorney, a community organizer, and he rose to fame quickly because the party pushed him out as a front runner. It wasn't like, from my memory, from my understanding... I mean, I don't follow politics. I watch The Daily Show like you do. Mm -hmm. That's the extent of it. Now, take Bernie Sanders, for example. It seems to me, just from the information that's being presented to me, I'm not doing a bunch of going to the library and researching, 
but it seems like he's got a track record of community service, of political experience, mm-hmm. voting. He's a senator. Yeah, he has been protesting alongside people. Right. So his track record speaks for itself. Right. And I would say that's also the case with Donald Trump. His track record speaks for it itself, although on a much more public platform. You know, anybody can see what he's about or what he's been doing with his life. Right. But the other candidates, again, I don't follow politics. Where do they come from? Yeah. I don't I don't know. Well, Hillary we know a little bit about. I mean, just because she was married to one of our presidents, mm-hmm. you know, in our lifetime. But um, I don't know much about, like, Marco Rubio or Ted Cruz. I don't either. Um, and in my head, when I think about the reality of the situation, how likely is it for Trump to win or something like that, I'm like, well, I feel like he alienates religious people because of his behavior, his antics, his things like that. I don't, I feel like the, the Christians would be right. appalled. Right. And I think that that's a huge portion of our country. And so I feel like that's uh, reassuring to me. Um, Minorities, I think in general, he's alienated, obviously, um, unless they're somewhere else. And um, and then, of course, you know, the left wing, he's alienated. So, like, yeah, he's won states, but he's won states with low populations. Extremist voters. Extremist voters and things like that. So, I mean, that, in in my mind, is a little bit more um, settling. It's just, uh, it's interesting. (laughs) Um, And I... I know, like, shows like The Daily Show or um, John Oliver or whatever, they'll bring up how Bernie Sanders is, like, the exact opposite of Trump. Mm -hmm. Like, they balance each other out Mm -hmm. in the sense that everything that one is, the other isn't. Polar opposites. Yeah. And so that's an interesting dynamic that we have going on in that sense. I just, I still can't believe that this is a for real thing that's happening right now. Remember that South Park episode? And it was like comparing the candidates to, it's either a shit sandwich. Remember it? It was like, either you're getting a, I forget what the example mm-hmm. was, but it was like either a piece of crap or a dingleberry. Yeah. You know, yeah. Half a dozen, six and the other. Right. I was listening to uh, Traffic. When I was driving on AM News or whatever, and they cut to an interview with the mayor of Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and he apparently is a super delegate or just a delegate in the Democratic um, National Party, and he said that he was a strong supporter of Hillary Clinton, and that kind of deflated me as I was driving, how certain he was and his mind was already made up and his vote was already cast for all intents and purposes and I don't know I mean someone like myself who does not follow politics who doesn't put much stock into the quality of leaders affecting our daily life Mm -hmm. but much like 
people that don't normally vote came out and voted for Obama. I feel like this go around, people that don't normally vote are going to come out and vote. Which maybe what is that? Is that a good thing to to, to try to put a positive spin on this? Right, it's bringing people out the woodwork. Right, maybe and maybe that's the case. Um, I, um, I'm friends with somebody on Facebook. He's just an acquaintance, but he works up in San Francisco uh, for the De- Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've seen his political posts or things that he's doing and who you know, different things that he's been working on, initiatives, meetings he's having, things mm-hmm. like that. And he's such a a huge Hillary supporter. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's up in San Francisco. And there's a, a big initiative for her up there. I mean, at least through what I'm seeing with him. And I, he has a respectable opinion. And for somebody who's kind of like involved right. and really in it, like... He's in, he's, in the he's in the trenches. He's behind the scenes. He's doing a lot of work. Um, and so I, I see people like that. And at the end of the day, like, do I want my son to be born in the year that Trump wins a presidential election? <laughs> or, you know, if Hillary won, I wouldn't be as disheartened, I don't think. Um, I mean, I, I love Bernie Sanders' ideas and optimism and everything that he's saying Mm -hmm. for I mean it's everything that we've been thinking um which is politics in general hopefully like that's a representation a represent a true representation of what he's doing instead of like a end game um but like a lot of people have brought to the forefront like how realistic is it to accomplish a lot of these things um that he's saying I don't know, but to have those morals as a Starting as a point. leader mm-hmm. is important to me. I think um, that it's funny and it's sad and it's telling that the three people that we are mentioning and talking about right now, Hillary, Trump, Sanders, most of the people older than us, I would say respectable adults, uh, moderates, by that I mean not extremists, not super partisan, don't want any of those people to be president. And I think it's ridiculous for us to make a decision based on the things that they are promising us when every four years or every eight years we're sitting here talking about the discrepancy between what the politicians said they would do versus what they did do. So in my mind, I mean, my view, my cynical view of politics is that I don't want the person who wants to be president. I want the person who wants to make a difference. Or I want the person who's going to roll up their sleeves and go to work and who was maybe dreading the fact that they're in the public eye. Mm -hmm. They don't want the glitz and glamour of the job. They have a calling to make a difference. And I feel the same way with with pastors, with preachers. Mm -hmm. You know, I've met some people, some young people, that I heard their life story, I got to know them, and when I found out their calling and their reason for wanting to pastor a church, 
I respected it. And there are so many uh, preachers in the public eye whose motivations seem very questionable. Mm -hmm. So I, I take that uh, mindset with me when I look at politicians. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a catch-22. Mm -hmm. You're not going to have people running and putting a year of their life into a campaign if they don't want to be president on several levels. So I don't know that I'm ever going to get that type of a person uh, to support. But for me, it all boils down to facts, to yeah. track record. Look at how they voted. Look at what they've done with their life. Look to see who has physically rolled up their sleeves and worked to get things done. Right. Or was alongside people. My first um, memory of seeing Bernie Sanders like on TV was when he announced he was going to run for the presidency. Mm -hmm. Did you watch this? I can't he, recall exactly. He came up to the podium. He basically made like a quick blurb mm -hmm. about saying he's going to be president. And he was like, okay, I'm done. Are we, are we done? And he turns around and he leaves. And he's Gotta like, he's like, it. I have things to do. Yeah. And so I was like, I like this guy. Right. You know, he seems um, abrupt. And, um, like he just wants to get things done. It's not necessarily because of the um, fame of it all. But you're right. I mean, politicians are politicians. I always told myself I'd never marry a politician or an actor right. because I thought, like, oh my God, I know I will know nothing about you, um, and you'll be gone all the time. <laughs> so um, it's it's a lot. Um, it's a lot to watch. It's a lot to take in. And I guess you're right. Like, I haven't in real life, I don't think, met a Trump supporter. I don't see a single one on my Facebook feed. Then again, I did block a lot of the people that I don't um, really agree with a lot of the time or put, like, pretty insensitive or um, hurtful well, things on there. That's not healthy to block people that you don't agree with because you were just talking about having a dialogue. No, that's that true. Um, it, it's not necessarily just because I don't agree with them. That's not everybody. It's more, um, it's just a bunch of like blunt or blatant attacks. Yeah. If it's hate speech, that's different. Yeah. And that's what it kind of seemed like it was going towards. So I would. Sure, sure. I mean, I would. I've, I've done, I've done the same or, or similar things. And other people I've blocked because they just post ridiculous things all the right. time about their life and i'm like yeah, this have, is uh, not fun you to have watch right and ability to choose what you want your facebook feed to be i mean it's yeah. it's entertainment to a degree it's how you spend part of your day so you know customize it how you want yeah. just like we pick the shows that we want to watch we pick the, the information that we want to feed into our face right i'm i'm pretty particular about what i let my eyes see and not see now, I, it's weird that we, well, I guess it's natural. We talked about House of Cards, now we're talking about politics. But if the three branches of government function how they're supposed to, mm -hmm. with the checks and balances mm -hmm. in place, mm -hmm. shouldn't it function to the benefit of the people regardless who's in office? Isn't it set up that way? Yeah. And then you look at the issues, like the hot-button topics that come up, you got, you know, gay rights, gun control, pro-choice. I mean, getting corporations out of the forefront of big decisions that are made and things like that. These Can't are all reform. things that have existed for decades in this country. Sure. And it just hasn't 
resolved itself no matter who's in charge. So, I mean, it's like a system that thrives on chaos. <laughs> Sometimes, like, I don't understand. Well, I've had this thought that, you know, we're supposedly a democracy, a representative of the people, and that our foreign policy on its face is supposed to be imparting democracy onto the world. Whereas my understanding of the definition, what we have fits the definition of an oligarchy. And after doing some quick, very cursory research online, uh, I don't know if it was Stanford or Harvard or somebody conducted a study, and that's actually true. The, the functioning government, how it runs today, is an oligarchy. There's a handful or a few hundred wealthy families and a few very powerful corporations who buy policy, they buy lobbies to get the outcome that they want. So I think that there's so many people in America that a true democracy is not feasible logistically, but it was, I don't know when this happened, but it was never really meant to be that. You know, I would say that it's capitalism rules the day more than democracy does. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, don't I mean, know you just say. break it down to what I thought it was going to be like, just in the simplest form. <sighs> Forgive me, I think there's, what, two senators per each state, mm -hmm. regardless of how many people are in the state. Correct. So California has two, but so does South Dakota. You know, you so that, that like they shouldn't count. <laughs> well, we just have a higher population. Right. So then that's when the House comes in and you have people representing... Per capita. Per capita. Um, and that seems like a feasible way almost to try to manage a democracy with the numbers that we have is to just assign a representative to a, a mass of people and have that representative go to DC and rep represent that, that group of people. Mr. Smith. As best as you can. Goes to Washington. That's right. Great movie. <laughs> um, but, uh, there's so many other pieces to that. It's not just delegates and senators. Yeah. It's it's interesting. I just I have I have a very important question that I want to ask you. Mm -hmm. um, let's wrap it up from here. Who do you have winning the final four? I have Duke winning the final four. Okay. Who do you have winning the final four? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Actually, it's funny. I've been doing research and keeping stats on college basketball for the past three or four weeks. Uh-huh. You know, very regularly. Very religiously. Mm -hmm. the, the conferences, the the teams, if they're up at halftime, what happens if they're down at halftime, mm -hmm. and the schedule, and the conference tournament, all this. I woke up the day that the brackets were due. I sat on the toilet for five minutes, and I just, not guessed, but just picked you know what I mean? 
and I had Michigan State going all the way. <laughs> they lost in freaking round one to Middle Tennessee. But I did, I never do this, but I did a second bracket. And in my second bracket, I have Kansas winning it all. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, after the Michigan State lost, I think there was a stat that only 1.1% of brackets were still perfect. So it's, it's March Madness for a reason. I mean, it's, it's unpredictable, super fun to watch. Um, I ju- we just watched Wisconsin win by a buzzer beater. Yeah, that was fun. That was so cool. And I have an attachment to Wisconsin now because of last year mm-hmm. when I went with Isaac to watch the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight mm-hmm. at Staples Center. Um, his wife went to college with somebody that knows the assistant coach and we got to go support them and run out on the floor afterwards and celebrate the victory with them and hold the trophy. And my brother, who was at Pepperdine at the time, uh, Pepperdine was the host school. So he was there uh, working like being event staff security. So after that experience, I'm, I've basically adopted Wisconsin as my college team. Yeah. So. Do they so, know about your bracket? What do you mean? Does Wisconsin know? Yeah, that you don't have them going all the way. Oh well, no, but I have them. I have them going to the Sweet Sixteen, which they are going. So, <laughs> I think that I, I accurately uh, predicted their success thus far. Good job. Yeah. I did a pretty good job on my bracket so far too, considering I don't know a lick about you like. Did. But just by osmosis, going. you see my reaction to teams. And you know the history, the storied teams. And I, I like to vote or make my predictions more based off the pedigree of the program versus the talent this year. I also, I just go back to my previous experiences with March Madness brackets. I've been making them since I've been dating you. Yeah. Because um, I just think that they're fun. Just to see. I don't know. Yeah, it's fun. Who, who, Besides the Super Bowl, it's March Madness. Yeah, whatever. And um, I always think, like, go for the Midwestern teams, because what else do they have to do with their time? (laughs) (laughs) But practice playing basketball. (laughs) And uh, and prissy schools, like Duke. (laughs) Duke's a prissy school? Isn't it? It is. No, you're right. Isn't it an Ivy League? It's not an Ivy League, but... But it's close. It's it's a private school. It's It's like Stanford. I would say that's accurate. So North Carolina and Duke are both in Chapel Hill, um, North uh-huh. Carolina, and they're rivals. And I would say that North Carolina is like the working man's school. You Duke know, is private, isn't it? And Duke is private. Yeah. So North Carolina and Duke have that rivalry. Right. And just like you said. It's like UCLA Duke and USC exactly. type of thing. I would say USC is a prissy school. So, yeah, somewhere. Yeah, 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 I mean, in a crazy area. Right, right. But, right <laughs> um, I, I know what you mean. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I'd go with schools that I'm like, so what? Ones... How do you have, like, you know, rich kids or whatever, and you're winning these championships? Scholarships. Yeah, yeah. type of thing. So, so the ones, the schools with nothing to lose, the Midwestern, as you say, that they're either cow-tipping mm-hmm. Yeah. They're drinking or they're playing basketball. And then here and there, I'll throw in schools that I don't know anything about. They're like small-name schools where Coming I'm like, nowhere. where are you even located? Yeah. Like, I have no idea. And I'll just, you know, toss a couple of those in there just for the sake of I love your strategy. Thank you. <laughs> you know what's counterintuitive this year is that Hawaii actually has two wins 
already. I would never consider Hawaii as a force in the tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, but their first uh, opponent, Cal, had a, a major injury, so I think that contributed to it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's my favorite time of year. My birthday was Friday. Mm-hmm. So March Madness is always always going to be a special time of year for me. It's It's a financial goal for me to be able to one year take, like, all of March off of work and just... Maybe go to Vegas for the first round, go to Atlantic City for the second round, hop over to Reno. You can do it. You know what I'm saying? Just Can I come? I want to come. Of course you can come. Someone's got to watch the baby. Well, he'll just be with us or we'll drop him off with grandparents or something. (laughs) Right on. Well, I guess we have some uh, TV to go watch, huh? Yep. Anything else you want to say to the people before we go? Well, thanks for listening. Anything you want to say to the baby? I love you, baby. Love you too, baby. Yeah. Until next time. Bye. Yo, I'm having trouble at the crib. I'm going at it with my baby mother where I live. While the soldiers bleed, the economy recede. And all she want to watch is reality TV. But from us a real life, the strange love. Some behavior I couldn't figure the flavor of. Dropped out of charm school when she fell in love with New York. And love money, that's what I'm not made of. I bought a membership to the Celebrity Fit Club. To see if I can stand a real chance with this love. It don't make sense the way she tried to turn the G to a gent. But need tough love, don't get it mixed up. I was one of them wild boys shooting for size more. She was a little live drawn watching her eyes more. The best we ever had it going for broke like Eddie Griffin or Danny Bonaduce. But nope, she never listened when I dropped a super sweet 16. Daydreaming of becoming Miss Rap Supreme. Or maybe making a band, but bring your guns out. Sing your lungs out. Move out like daddy's girls out of run south. But that's against all odds. Pick a part of Smite, come and try to flip your rise. Real is real housewives of Atlanta years, real outside. It ain't like an episode of college, chill outside. Whether it be for the love of the payday Or for the love of trying to have a baby for Ray J The most smartest model on Project Runway She wanna become more of a living life in a fab lane And change her last name And since Gotti's way was passing She watched Salt Pepper and Celeb Rehab Day That's all she talk about at the cafe I swear to God it drove me to drink about half a carafe My head's so spinning I'm so through with women Who watch reruns of the real world with dinner And Kim Kardashian moms and Bruce Jenner And 3-6 Mafia show and Jerry Springer, Scott Bay on 46 and knocked up. I'd rather see the first 48 unlocked up. Instead, it's just a nanny 9 run run. I'm trading spouses, extreme makeover. She rearranged the couches now. She keep changing outfits. I'm about to have to get a Dr. Phil to do something about this. The house not fresh, she not top chef. I tell her, Viva La Bam. She tell me not yet. Watching cribs, looking at shit. She never gonna get America's best dance move. She trying to do the stuff. About to do it like Beyonce and tell her to the left. Truth be told, she about to tell Television me to death, yeah. Talk is cheap, mother.